Hello and welcome to the Lean on Agile show. I'm your host Shaheen and I have dear friend of mine, Rick or Ricardo, um, that um, he um, accepted to join me. He's a senior Agile coach and I got to know him a while back, 2012-2013, when I was working with one of the um, organizations that they were going Agile. And he was, he was um, helping with educating the whole organization and teaching the whole organization on Agile. And from that moment, we, we were connected and I follow him, he follows me. And I thought this is a very good point in time to capture his thoughts on all of these Agile movements. And he shares with us uh, all the uh, years of experience that he has. Um, welcome, Rick, uh, to the show. Thank you, Shane. I appreciate it. It's good to see you again. It's been some time, but very good to see you. Same here. So tell us, tell us, tell us to our audience who Rick is and a little bit of background about yourself. Sure. So Rick is a former engineer, former DevOps person, um, and currently agile professional. Been doing this uh, particular work since 2011, and uh, something I really enjoy just as much as you do. Um, but it started out as training. I really enjoyed the training aspect and. Uh, with the training, ironically, uh, coaching sort of happened as well. So I was, uh, you and I met, of course, as you mentioned, uh, while you were uh, an employee with a particular uh, client, and um, I came in and, and got to experience a really great environment uh, of people who wanted to learn something different. And that sort of spurred me to to want to continue to coach. With uh, Originally, with, with, uh, with your company, as you remember, it was mostly training. But eventually they started bringing me into coach and I enjoyed that. That's, that has been my career for the last, I don't know, seven or eight years now. So that's, that's sort of who I am and, and how I got here. Right. Nice. So t- tell us some of the stories of um, coaching that you enjoy or, or get you going along, along as much as um, you like that. Well, absolutely. So the things that get me are the aha experiences, the moments where people, um, they capture something that I've said, uh, they recognize that it does apply to them and, and they recognize that, that the feasibility of the thought um, and how it applies to their work. And that's what really gets me going. I, that, that really energizes me. Um, challenging uh, groups and companies as well, maybe people who are sort of uh, reticent to participate or um, not non-believers um, don't understand the specifics of it all. I have one client in particular, one at one place around the same time I visited with you at your company, um, the man smashes his hands on the table and goes, Agile will not work here. My first thought was, you're my guy. If I can convince you, I can convince anyone. And I did. And so those are, those are the type of things that really, the challenge of it all is getting people to understand and believe things that they don't understand and they don't know to believe. So that's where I get a, I get a charge. If I, if I may say so, it's, it's challenging because it's very hard to convince people that there's a better way because when you're telling them there's a better way um, unintentionally or implicitly, you're telling them that your way of doing is not the most optimum way or right. they might interpret that, that you are telling me that I'm doing my job wrong, right? So it's very delicate matter in hand. Absolutely. And, and ironically, I mean, I'm on the West Coast and and um, most people are, are very delicate about, about how you speak to them. I'm originally from, from the East Coast and we have a very different way of speaking there. It's very direct, very forward. There's, there's no, um, there's no uh, massaging language. So there, is t- there are times when you have to be conscious of how you deliver a particular message. One of the 
biggest challenges for me is, is to avoid saying that you're doing it wrong and to say, have you tried this option? Have you tried this option? Do you understand why this option works better? Do you understand that this option can work better? Um, if What else have you been exposed to? And if it's only one perspective that that individual is coming from, then you have to be kind and considerate for them to understand that you're not taking a, you're not making a judgment on that individual or their practice. You're just offering what you've seen as a, as a professional. In my case, you know, I've seen a ton, a lot of different mm-hmm. companies and a lot of different roles. So I'm offering that. And that's where the coach comes in because only from a coaching, you can only become a coach if you've had the experience and the depth of understanding and, mm-hmm. and exposure to things that can actually be beneficial for someone else. But you're right. It's a very tricky concept. To, to tell someone that what they're doing isn't optimal. Right, right. Um, I'm glad that you ta- touch base, touch upon the coaching aspect. So, uh, and you said you need to bring lots of experience to see the different perspective. Um, what I'm hearing, um, there, there are so many, so many different definitions of the agile coaching or what that coach should sh- shape or should, should be. But I think what you were referring to was more like a sports coach that he or she has done it himself. Now come there, maybe there's a different environment and change it. Uh, the, the, the advice you're telling based on the environment that you, they are. Or even if you have something out of the pocket that you already practice, just show it to them, right? Tell us more about how do you see um, coaching in the agile world? So it's ironic that you mentioned the sports analogy. That's, that's actually where my idea starts. Um, you and I both have the career, former career path as engineer. So we've been on agile teams as contributors, individual contributors or contributors as part of a team. So we've seen it done incorrectly. We've seen it done, seen it done correctly. In my case, I've actually done waterfall projects as well. And I, and I have the experience of the different types. I mean, like my favorite uh, experience of all time was the extreme programming team I was part of. Oh my goodness. I mean, it wasn't scrum. It wasn't Kanban. It was crazy. The chaos that when someone walked into the room, it looked like there was, there was madness going on, but we all knew exactly what we were doing. There was so many conversations and we were relating to, you know, relating to one another, our situation, our challenge, what we're experiencing and other folks would maybe hear that and decide, well, I, I can put my, what I'm doing on hold for a moment and give you a hand. So when I hear folks that come out of a particular space or place and, and they don't really have the experience, but they're calling themselves agile coaches, it's challenged to me um, to really take that seriously if they haven't actually experienced agile. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it's, a, it's a terminology, you know, inch wide and a mile deep. You know, they have a lot of uh, academic understanding of what it is we do but the practical application of those things oftentimes may be missing. And that's where it makes it challenging for folks like you and I, because oftentimes we come in behind those folks. Right. It makes it really, really difficult to try to, to not disparage a colleague that you don't know, but not disparage a colleague and still try to do what you're there for. And that's to help the customer and help that particular client improve in a particular area. Right. Uh, this is what I typically refer to the third wave of agile coaches there that coming in, right? So the first one, like they come in, no one listens to them. The second wave, they're coming after the second, first wave. They, they get something, something there, but the second wave is pro- typically someone with less um, investment needed because they, they lost hope on the first. They just want to try. So they're just typically the people by the book that they know something, not, not that much level of expertise. And they said, 
okay, so the, for the first and second wave, we have spent this much money. So let's get someone to, to get this one right. And the third wave that comes in typically gives the same advice as the first wave, right? But no people are ready, right, to, to receive that advice. Yeah. Um, so um, how, do, how do you see the world of Agile change in the past um, like um, many years that you are, you are in that since um, I believe you said 2011, right? So it's uh, all, more than they, almost 10 years, like it's going to be more than 10 years soon. Right. It's, it's 10 years this year. Um, the ironic thing, it's interesting you asked that particular question. <clears throat> My first experience with Agile was in 2002. Mm-hmm. Um, I was working for a state government. And um, that's when I learned Scrum and, and a few other things. And um, it's ironic to me how uh, the last in the last six or seven years, it seems like Agile's becoming popular to a lot of folks. Mm-hmm. Number one, it's it's been around a long time. You know, right. it's been around since the 1990s, and and um, the term Agile has been around since 2001. So mm-hmm. it's, these aren't new concepts. These, these concepts have been around a long time. And um, the one thing I see, ironically, it used to be engineers and testers or QA type folks, uh, architects that became Agile practice professionals. Mm-hmm. That, that's what I recognize. Like, again, you and I have technical background. That's where right. we come from because we experience the work. And so it makes sense that, well, if we want to help improve others, if we're really interested in helping other, other folks or helping our community of engineers, then we probably become agile practitioners or trainers ourselves and teachers. What's been really interesting is the number of project management professionals that are coming mm-hmm. into our space. Like that number is through the roof. And mm-hmm. um, I've, I've asked a few people a few times why, and, and it doesn't matter really, as long as the spirit of what they're doing centers around um really trying to develop an agile mindset wherever they're working. As long as that's the case, I'm perfectly fine with whatever anyone's background is, but it takes learning. You know, you have to know who Mary and Tom Poppendick are. Even if it's not Scrum, you have to understand Lean. You have to understand Kanban. You have to understand the benefits of XP. Not every team's going to fit in Scrum. Not every team's going to fit in Kanban. You have to know other things, and then you have to be able to guide folks through their challenges or through their first endeavors with these things. And again, um, if you're coming from an academic background, it limits how much, how much success you may have in that space and, and how much credibility you can earn because you haven't had the experience as much as someone who's actually been on a team and done the work. I was going to mention that one thing that might have contributed to uh, many project managers are coming on board. Could be the fact that PMI or the body behind project management professional certification bought that, right? So, but they merged that uh, discipline agile delivery into their uh, body of knowledge. So they they see lots of value into agile, and they are now uh, bringing that into, and that's the whole new lots of people, and that could be. And it's a good thing, right? It's a good thing that many people are looking into what Agile is, but when it's a good thing that it's been popularized, but the challenge, uh, let me ask you, what are the challenges of it being so much popularized, this, this Agile? I see people, so there used to be qualifications you had to meet in order to get certain certifications. Right. Those qualifications are now out the window. A person can apply, just, just say, I want to be a... a a particular scaling model 
professional and they require right. five years of experience as a scrum master to even get there. No one's doing the five years anymore. Mm-hmm. When, when I, when I developed, when I had received my, um, my, uh, it? it was a certification with the Scrum Alliance that required, you couldn't study for it. You had to have five years of experience. And in the, in the, the CSP. Right. And those days you had to take the test cold and it was, it was, it wasn't, it wasn't just uh, multiple choice. It was actually several essay questions that went into it and so forth. And you had to wait a long time to get your test back and all the rest of that stuff. Well, that's those, those qualifications seem to have gone by the wayside. I've, I've actually trained people that had no agile experience. They were program managers or product managers or project managers. And they said, hey, guess what? I just got a certification in this and I just got a certification. I'm like, you just learned this. How are you going to help anyone? I mean, I understand what you're trying to do, but, and it's great, you know, congratulations on on trying to build your future. However, Mm -hmm. there is a, there, there is, if you plan to teach people and coach people, then you need to have enough depth of understanding that goes beyond the basics. Yeah. Everyone focuses. So I, you ask me sort of what are some of the things I recognize that are going to challenge us? Everyone focuses on, I'm just going to use Scrum as an example. Everyone uses, focuses on the, um, the, the, the events. Mm-hmm. Okay. We have our, we have our daily standup and we have a retrospective and we have, I'm like, yeah, but do you understand why you're doing all that? Mm-hmm. Do you understand the benefit? If we're not going to production, if we're not delivering something of value, regularly, frequently, hopefully at the end of every sprint, maybe even during the sprint, if we're not doing that, then all of those events, all those meetings you're holding, what's the value? It really isn't much. So, Um, I haven't found this article, but I had to find, I'm going to find this article one day. And this article defines um, after the uh, new new product article that came out, it was describing why they came up with these uh, events and the reason that they came up with these events in the Scrum was because in that implementation that they have, what they were looking at at the calendar, what are the meetings that we have, what are the outcomes that we are after. So let's put them into different formats so it doesn't take us that much time and it's, it's more impactful and effective, right? But no one does this. Like a Scrum says this, you go and implement this, and then after maybe someone comes and asks you a question, do you know why are you doing this? And if people are ready, then they, they ask you. So one of the typical um, Scrum Master interview questions that they ask, and most of the people uh, get it wrong, is about who is responsible to run daily stand-up, right? If you read the Scrum Guide, it's a development team, right? But typically when the people comes in, right, I'm facilitating as a Scrum Master and all that. So I love the fact that you asked that question, by the way. That is... That is the perfect question to get the depth of understanding that someone has, because it it's it's not a trick question; it's a trap right. question. If you're not thinking, if you if you're if you if you haven't had the experience, you're going to say Scrum Master. Right. The same thing. Uh, someone asked, and in my when I do interviews for folks, I ask if they have any Kanban experience or or Lean experience. They say if they do, if they say they do. I said great. Who's the, does Lean have like a, a Kanban have a Scrum Master, right? They have a Scrum Master. And it's like, yeah, I'm like, I'm making a note. No, <laughs> they don't. Everyone owns, everyone owns the practice and and the, the facilitation responsibility travels throughout the entire team on a regular right. basis. You know, how many retrospectives 
uh, how often do you have a retrospective in Kanban? I was like, well, this much. Well, it should be every week, you know, <laughs> and, then, and they should be cumulative and, and that sort of thing. And, and then a look back. And anyway, it's a challenge when um, folks are doing the stuff I like to refer to it. Right. They're doing agile and instead, instead of understanding why they should be doing it in the first first place. And that's sort of the, the embodying of the understanding that you have to have a, a, an agile mindset, you know, right. why you're doing what you're doing and for what to what end. Right. It's to deliver high quality software frequently, you know, or high value. And it doesn't have to be engineered. It doesn't have to be software. It can be any particular practice. I went to a hospital once um, for my son and and it was so cool to see they had a Kanban board in one of the, one of the examination rooms. I was like, yes, yeah. we're sticking outside of engineering. So that's great. Um, actually, I was talking uh, the other night, um, last night, to a couple of um, project management students uh, from Vancouver, actually. And they were asking me, how can we do any of these in a personal life? I said, go with Kanban, right? Have a personal Kanban board, um, try some putting on something out there, like, and don't think about it. Like just put things there, see the patterns, evolve through it, right? You, you are going to see, um, and that what um, that helped us in the pandemic a lot, right? Because uh, we are all home, we need to do more chores around the house, like and all that. So the personal Kanban that we built, it was, it was much more helpful for us. Um, I kept one on my wall at work. I mean, I'm, I'm home, but right. I had I have a, a board right here right. where I actually had things that I needed to make sure I completed. We were using. We, we sort of use, we use whatever we wanted, but it was sort of a scrum Kanban. So right. I just kept the note in case things, if, and when I start seeing my whip go up, mm -hmm. I have to make sure I manage it, so. Right. And thank you for putting this interview part of your whip. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> I was able to fit it in. Anything for you. I was, really, I was really happy to see that you made this career choice and, I, and I've been so so impressed with how well you've been doing. Um, and, I appreciate and, and, that. Really, I, I, I had really good mentors alongside the way. Uh, it was yourself. It was um, Jason Little that um, I actually remember I was doing one um, um, retrospective. I was so proud of it. I, I read the retrospective book by Esther Derby mm -hmm. and uh, Diana Larson. I, I embodied it. I, I, talk, I thought about it a lot. And then there was one uh, retrospective that I did and I saw that uh, Jason was helping me uh, and he was he was so off uh, and I was asking him like join like jump in and he was like very off hands and at the end he just gave me one recommendation and I was like oh this this coach sat there for the full full, full hour and just gave me one recommendation and at and then when I started coaching people I realized how much valuable that one recommendation was right because you don't want to so anyhow, long story short, I had really good um, mentors such as yourself and good community support. So I'm I'm a big fan of community because they supported me a lot and I'm helping them as well. Um, you talked about a CSP. And I remember those days that you need to apply for those kind of approvals or, or it, was, it felt it felt more like a community approval of you, right? So you, right. you need to you need to provide some example of how you contributed to the community. Did you have a blog post? Did you have a conversation with someone? What, what was the outcome? I applied for that. And then I got that after, I guess, for like six months took it for me to take it or get it or something. And then I was so proud of it, right? That And they, they changed the whole thing, right? Yeah, um, now anybody can get it. 
Right, right. And then they build up um, the leadership track that anyone can get it, right? They change those tracks. But uh, isn't this an example of uh, going back to the old ways of uh, what how we know to do things? Um, let me uh, be more clear. So, for example, when we are going into teams and try to change their habits, so I try to change the process, like they might do something for a while. They might go with a new process, but when the when something um, strange happens or something critical happens, they go back to their old habits, right? And I yes. think that that could have happened to the to the agile community as well. There was so much demand coming their way, so they they were not able to handle those. And then they said, okay, so we are going to change this program because we cannot. So they they go back to the old ways of doing. Yeah, uh, doing these. That's that's a, that's a distinct possibility. Um, it's interesting you bring up the whole idea of. The revision, the reversion, you know, going back to what's familiar. Um, whenever I'm coaching, I, I'm constantly looking at that. I think I found a date, a time. If you've been working with an organization for about a year and a few months, it's almost like everyone now knows more than the coach. Mm -hmm. And they stop listening to you. They just stop listening to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> We're going to do this anyway. And I'm going, okay. And when I'm a, when I was a consultant, um, you know, when I'm consulting, the first thing I think is, okay, it was time to move on. Right. They've moved on for me. Right. I've, you know, I've obviously done the best, you know, the most that I could do. Um, but usually it's new energy comes in and, and someone wants to make a name for themselves. So consequently, there's a diversion away right. from the best practices, away from the things that have proven um, to work. And again, as you mentioned, when things, when odd things happen or challenges pop up or deadlines surface, immediately everyone wants to go into, um, well, I know I can control this if I do the following. Right. Yeah, exactly. And they missed the point. It, it was the lack of, it was giving up the control and addressing the need at the moment. Like, you know, instead of trying to control it, just addressing the need at the moment reduces everyone's stress and the work gets done. Now, when you start trying to control it, now you've owned, you've decided to own the stress and everyone's feeling it all at the same time. And now you're putting additional pressure on yourself instead of do, just letting the work do what it does. Mm -hmm. And then the, the, the classic symptom of that is overcommitment. Yeah, true. That's usually the first thing that happens. We just teams overcommit and it's like, okay, you're going to, you're not going to, you're not going to work. Right. Overcommit, coming for for the team instead of the team, like we commit for someone else, right? Yes. Yeah. The leads, right? You have the right. you know the the lead engineer. He's the one that makes, or she's the one that makes the decision who can do what. And I'm like, well, then right. have the lead engineer do all the coding then. Right. See how far that goes. <laughs> so this is a good segue to uh, talk to you or ask you your um, advice for us. Uh, what have what would you do if uh, the coaching doesn't go as well as you intended to, right? So you have some plans in your mind. You go with a consulting mindset that I'm going to take them like to the point A. But what what are you going to do if if you see resistance? You see people not listening to you. Well, tell us more about your experience. The very first thing is I retrospect. I have to understand if it's me. Did I miss something? Was there a detail that that I left out was there a symptom that I overlooked? What, that was I moving too fast? That I picked the wrong approach? I, I began to, to really examine my behavior first. Then I I, I usually refer to colleagues, uh, my mentor in particular, uh, the person who's responsible for me even doing this work in the first place. 
Um, he's he's in Vancouver. You might even know him. Um, his name is Steve Adolf. I'm not sure if you know who Steve mm-hmm. is, but anyway, Steve, uh, he he he's always there for me. So whenever I reach out to him and say, "Look, I'm going through this. Am I seeing this wrong? I mean, should I be thinking about it differently? What would you do? What have you seen? What have you experienced?" So that's the community piece that you're talking about. Right. Being able to leverage one another makes it easier to it makes it easier to recover quickly if you have a challenging um, event. Now. Once I've done that, then it becomes a, if it's a matter of will, the team or the organization is not willing to participate, then I have to go find whoever my advocate is within that organization, the reason mm-hmm. why I'm there to sort of put uh, put it in people's minds that I'm there for a reason. Mm-hmm. And, and so you just can't reject the coaching. You have to be willing to accept it because your company's paying for this at some point. Mm-hmm. So first I do the reflective bit to understand if it's something that I'm missing, something that I'm not doing correctly. Once I'm pretty sure that it, you know, I've covered my bases in that way and maybe even made a few adjustments. Mm-hmm. If I'm getting the same result, then I have to go find my advocate. Right. One of the coaches that in Toronto that I know of, um, the first thing that he would do um, for the engagement, he would go and sit with the team and say, hey, your organization is paying me this much. Um, and I'm here for a reason. You guys tell me what do you think that I'm here for. <laughs> so, and, and that is his opening. Right? Like I want to understand, like what do you guys see me here as? What job am I being hired to do here? Right. And if if at that point the team is not having the same expectation as as you, so you're you're under different phases. You need to you need to um, um, level those spaces out. Right. Right. And in fact, um, my typical approach is when I engage a team for the first time, I'll spend two weeks. I'll let them know I'm going to attend your events. I'm a fly on the wall. Mm-hmm. I want to understand what you do and understand how you operate, how you work. Before I can tell you anything about how I can help improve things, right. I have to understand if there is a problem in the first place, if there's something that we need to, that we could do differently. Can't do that until I've had an opportunity to observe your team. Exactly. So it's about two weeks. I'll go in and I'll, and I'll, uh, and usually folks, I mean, some people pull me right in. They go, why don't you come on in coach, you know, help us with this. I'm like, okay, great. That's the dream scenario. True. But in most cases we don't have uh there's always a little uh, reticence to participate. So it's like, yeah, we, we have this. And when I get that, I, I usually get kind of excited because I'm, I'm thinking, all right, great. That's my person. If I can get that person to see things a little differently than I'm, I've actually done mm-hmm. well in my position here. Yeah, um, I had I had conversation or these recruiters that were calling me, and I was asking them, um, "What is the mandate for for this engagement?" And if the mandate is very specific, right? These are the mandate that you need to do. I'm like, like without knowing the team, without without understanding the situation, how can I tell you that I can't deliver this in this six months or a year, right? So, like those are the environments that are less motivated to go on consulting versus like if there's a place that they accept you for two weeks and after two weeks they come and tell you okay so let 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 us know what how can you improve us right that's the better you know and i'm 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 happy to see you operating in that way i um nothing less expected of you my friend i've Uh, had i've told uh, um companies i've worked for hiring managers I said, never tell, never hire the agile coach that's going to tell you what they're going to do to make things better. Right. First time they say, I'm going to do this to make things better. 
you, you could say thank you, let them finish the interview, end it early and, and look at someone else because they're not, it's about them. It's not about the people they're trying to serve. So you are in the professional life, I'm sure, I, at least from 2002, like, or, or even before that, right? Java, so, Java programmer, 2002, right. exposed to Agile, you know, Scrum for the first time. Al Shalloway was my first Scrum. Right. What if you look back at your career? What was the big break in your career? Right? What is the one thing that highlights most, and how how do you get there? Um, it was I was at an insurance company. This is in 2011, and um, I had so there have been a few of those. The first one was in 2006 when I decided I didn't want to be a programmer anymore, mm -hmm. and I became a release engineer, DevOps professional at that point. Still hadn't been coined until three years later, but. That's the work I was doing, all the automation and so forth, and, right. and um, you know, uh, uh, continuous integration, writing on continuous delivery routines and so forth. And Ant, that's that was the first one. The second one was in 2011, uh, while working at an insurance company, and our CIO asking who has agile experience. I'm like, well, I've got a ton, right. you know, and I, and I recommended that we do a train and trainer routine. So if you're going to bring these consultants in and teach us agile and Scrum, you know the as uh, as a large organization, then why not? Why don't you hire and take some of us? Teach have them teach us how to do it. That way, we don't have to keep paying high price consultants for long periods of time. You know, and mm -hmm. and it's a grow your own environment. It's grow your own community that way. And that was the second one because that's when I stopped doing uh, the DevOps work I was doing and became strictly an agile practitioner in 2011. Mm -hmm. And uh, and it was a trainer first. And then trainer coach, and then it's been um, you know uh, director of this and that and so forth. And um, one financial services company I worked at <laughs> uh, was a great time there. It was really a lot of fun. Um, ground up, they needed they needed to, they needed help. They wanted to try a large agile transformation effort, and I got to be part of that. It was excellent. Nice. nice. So, so, so many people heard about Agile and probably know of Agile, but for the people that are new to this to this space, right? What are your suggestions? How do they start? So I, I can I can I can tell that one of the suggestions that you are going to tell them is don't do it by the book. Think about it because you mentioned that already. Um, correct me if I'm wrong. If that's not your suggestion, but but how how do you um, tell a person that wants to start in the Agile space where to start from? A bit of both, actually. I would actually say, please, if you're gonna if you if you're gonna practice Scrum or you want to be a Scrum master, read the Scrum Guide. Understand what's actually the what it says at a minimum is required to be a to be a Scrum practitioner at that point. Mm -hmm. um, but don't stop at Scrum. That's one of the other things I would recommend. Read several different um, approaches to to implementing agility. You mentioned discipline agile. Um, it's ironic that uh, the PMI also had um, the ACP program. Right. They're their agile uh, certified practitioner, which I taught that course as well. So it's 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 more than the more you the more you learn, the more you've read, the more you've experienced, the more rounded a picture you get. So when I mentioned a lean agile mindset and the why we do it in the first place, all of these all these themes just keep coming back. They keep repeating themselves, and it becomes a, a sort of a, a, an echo that that now makes it clear the reason why we do this is 
to a particular end. The reason why it works is because we, we were looking out for uh, making sure we have group participation. There's no there's no heroes. We you know the one thing I recommend is never to be a hero, right? Mm-hmm. We don't need those. We don't need people that think they can do all the work and commit overcommit for the entire team and then not deliver. So meet with an agile coach, meet with a scrum master, find someone, a product owner that's been doing it for many, many years and, and have conversations um, to learn what we think about more than anything else. Um, when I hire folks, as a, whenever I get an opportunity to hire folks as a leader, one of the first things I mention is I'm hiring you for how you think. Mm-hmm. I can teach you that which you do not know, but I can't teach you how to think. Yeah, exactly. I, I was in a position to hire people and there was um, this lady that I hired and um, she was coming, I believe, from a QA background, but she was hi- coming as a Scrum Master, Junior Scrum Master. Um, I hired her as an um, intermediate one because the way that she was thinking was was phenomenal. And now, like after maybe three years, she became an Agile coach. And one of those ones that they, they think about what you should be doing instead of um, what the book tells you to do or what others uh, following, right? So, I'm, and those are very unique people to find. Like if you get the chance to work with these people and, and it, it, it challenges yourself as well because there is another person that is thinking, he, he or she has a different perspective of thinking and is going to um, give you a different look at the puzzle that you're trying to solve, right? Because at the end of the day, we are solving puzzles or we are problem solving, right? Yes. We are, we are problem solvers. Ironically, so I want to I want to tap a little bit further on that. I have a a program manager, professional, twenty two years in project management and program management, and they're approaching agility for the first time. This person, she is she has been able to do the one thing I've never seen anyone else do, and that's flip from the project management expectations she has on a regular basis, and still have a lean agile mindset. It's mind mm-hmm. nice. and. and and I encourage her as often as I can. Like, you know, I always, I always spend time sort of making her recognize how well she's doing. So she doesn't have to wonder, am, am I doing any of this right? No, no, you're doing, you're doing great. Mm-hmm. Keep, keep doing that. And so now um, her confidence is starting to solidify a bit in the space as well. Like in, in the program management space, she has no doubts. Well, now she's starting to feel very comfortable in the agile mm-hmm. space. And 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 we can I consult with her on a regular basis. She always reaches out, which is really nice because again, if you want to get great at something, maybe you should find someone who's who's had more experience than you right. to learn how to get. That's what I did, and yeah. and I think that's what all of us do at some point. Right. Yeah, and and that was a very good point that you uh, mentioned at the community as well. I forgot to add to that. It's not only the community aspect, but it's it's having one person that has very strong tie to, to that person so that anytime that you have something, you can get bounce back ideas. Like, like a, even, a, even a coach's coach, if I may say, right? Everyone needs, even, everyone needs a coach, right? Because when you someone else asks you, what else can you do? Like until someone else asks you that question, no matter how many times you ask yourself, you are not going to um, probably find another answer to it, right? So that's a very... Um, good practice and I, I I'm doing it myself as well yeah I love doing that it, it yeah. helps yeah I call it a sanity check but whatever whatever term suits you right. it, it, it's also humbling also when 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 you get to be 
um, a person that's sought after as a coach, sometimes our egos can get a little full. Mm-hmm. And I'm constantly trying not to be that. I don't want that. I don't need that. It's too easy to fall into that trap. So I refer to my professional, to my colleagues and say, hey, you know, I have a situation. I'm thinking about doing this. I want to do this. What do you think? Mm-hmm. We'll spend an hour on it sometimes. And I feel mm-hmm. great coming out of it because it's like maybe it was what I was going to do in the first place. Maybe not. And I have a different option. Awesome. One question that I typically ask um, my, uh, my um, guests on the show is about the Elevate Change name. What, what do you think about it when you hear Elevate Change? So I just did a, I, I just participated in a conference with the company I'm working on, and I did one called um, Embracing Change. It doesn't have to be difficult. So, okay. so when I see Elevate Change, it actually made me smile when I saw it. Um, I see Elevate Change as recognizing that um, there's a natural reticence in a lot of folks to change in the first place. And, and so consequently, we avoid change, even though we all know it's going to happen. You know what's going to happen. So by elevating it, by putting change in the forefront, and when I see elevating change, I say, put the change out front. Let us, everyone understands things are going to be different real soon. Mm -hmm. So we're going to deal with that thought first, and then we'll deal with how to address it. But first things first, we have, at least if you're asking me what I think, that's what I think of the name elevating change. Instead, you're putting a change idea up front. That was perfect. Even better than the, the the time that I was trying to find find <laughs> rationale behind uh, naming it. So um, awesome. So um, we are almost to the end of the uh, session, uh, Rick. Um, is there anything else that you want to share with the audience? Anything that um, anything anything that is on your mind? Sure. Um, what I would like to share, probably more than anything else, is that. Some of us benefited from um, something that inspired us to choose this as a career. Um, I had a I had a a person recognize talent in me and spent time and invested in me, just like you say, you know, the the mentors and so forth that you work with and colleagues encourage you to do the same. My mentor made me make a promise, and that was mm-hmm. that if someone shows the kind of interest that I have, that I do what I can to share. Mm-hmm. And in our time together, I didn't have enough time because I was traveling so much to really commit to assisting as many as much as I could with you. And I apologize for that. But I'm making up for it in other ways. I'm, I'm giving whenever I can. So for all of us professionals who do this for a living, I would just say it's a gift and that we should share it. Mm. That's it. That's a very good advice. And no need to apologize, my friend. Like I'm, I learned more than uh, you would imagine from yourself. Um, what is the one book that you recommend for people to read these days? Okay. I used to recommend the Agile Samurai all the time because it was a fun right. read. It was a very I, fun read. I, I, I don't read know if I recommend too. it for you. Yeah, but, yeah, I read that because of you. Yes, uh, it's, a, it's a fun book. It's a really yeah. fun book. But more importantly, it covers, it covers cradle to grave agile practice i mean from the from the time you have a new team forming all the way to you delivering things to the customer and i i recommended that book on a regular basis um there are i have um not turn the ship around not that one it was um doing agile right 
And I recommend that for leaders more than anything else. Um, anyone who's going to have responsibility uh, for um, initiating a transformation in particular, because that seems to be the flavor of the month. Uh, everyone's transforming, um, but uh, doing agile right. And when leaders can recognize that you can't solve the same problems, you can't solve the problems that you have with the same thinking you use to create them. That Taylorism is not the same as leading an agile transformation. Um, that's sort of the thing I recommend is for people to read that book in particular. Thank you. Thank you, Rick. Um, I remember reading the Agile Samurai and that was a fun read. I, I have the book. I, I might go reread it again because from the different time zone that you're in, like you get a different um, um, understanding and different learnings from the book as well. So, um, yeah, uh, doing Agile right, I haven't. I'm, I'm going to put it on my list as well. Um, thank you. Thank you uh, so much for being on the show, Rick. Um, is there anything else that we should uh, talk about that we haven't? Any, any last words that you want to say? How Maybe how to get in contact with you? Um, okay, well, um, yeah, I don't have a web page or anything like that. Right. I, just, um, I, I sort of fly under the radar, Shane. Right, right. <laughs> but that's okay. You're a hidden gem. That I, I, I think it's, I don't know, but thank you for that. Um, I, I would say that if you wanted to reach out to me on LinkedIn, you can find me at, you know, at LinkedIn under Ricardo Lee. That's that's where people usually find me. I have lots of contacts in that space and folks discover me there. Um, uh, thank you for, for um, doing what you're doing, for being a voice for change, for being a voice for our practice and being such a good ambassador, delivering the message the way you do. I really enjoy it. Thank you so much again. I'm, I'm, um, I'm standing on the shoulder of giants and the community. So I'm just doing what I can. Thank you. Um, thank you. All right. Have a wonderful evening.